We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. Before we get to this week's guest, just wanted to mention that we're a little off schedule from the new year. We're churning out this issue in order to uh, help our guest talk about his latest project. But starting next week, we'll be releasing every Tuesday as usual. And without out of the way, I want to introduce our guest. And what can I say? Not every guest can be great. You know, we have... <laughs> We had a we had a world women's world champion recently, three time U.S. champion. We had an amazing teenage chess improver, but this week's guest is is just Greg Shahadi. So, Greg, thanks for joining us. You know, it's funny when you said that. I thought you were talking about how great I was. <laughs> of course you were, and and then did. I realized, wait a second. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, Greg is one of our favorite guests and the commissioner of the Pro Chess League, uh, founder of the. U.S. chess school, pretty strong player, um, makes lots of friends and enemies with his uh, um, lively <laughs> takes on chess online, which we will discuss. 
But, Greg, of course we have to lead with the Pro Chess League. It's starting on January 8th. Um, oh, baby. So what's what's happening? What are you excited for? What am I excited for? Jeez, like everything. I mean, in the first year, it was kind of like an experiment. People didn't know what to expect, right? The second year, the good teams kind of learned from the first year and kind of, you know, worked on their strategies and – the competition was much stronger. The teams were much better. And I think this year it's going to another level. Like, I'm seeing these rosters, and I'm seeing what teams are willing to do to win. Um, like, there's bidding wars, I'm told about, like, be- between players, which did not happen before. Um, we have five of the top six players in the world. We have literally almost half of the 2,700 players in the world are in the league. And teams, you know, players can keep getting added throughout the season. So we might get above half of them. So it's just crazy. It's like like the whole world's playing in it. That's um, and what's happening with the format, Greg? Um, I know you've always got a lot of ideas of tweaking things. So what is there anything different this year? Uh, yeah, but it's mostly the same. Still four team, four divisions of eight teams, and there's going to be like a live final. The matches are the same way, like a four versus four, all play all. Um, the only the main differences are there's going to be these round robin weeks, like three of them that are going to be super exciting. Where you'll get like more points in the standings the higher you finish. And and the second change is well, it's not super exciting. It's just we're going away from a wins loss draws format in the standings, and instead you just get a certain number of points for like various things. It's so, like if you win a match, you get ten points. Every game your team wins, you get one point. And then in these round-robin matches, you can get points in lots of different ways. And it helps to simplify things and allows us to make many different formats seamlessly work. So what happens in the event of a draw? In the drawn match, each team will get five points for okay. for that. And then like one point for each game they won. And draw, drawn games just count as drawn games? Oh, there's no more draws. We're done with the draws. <laughs> we have one of our, uh, uh, one of our supporter questions is about that very topic. So. Um, no, the draws are half points. Okay. Um, and so five of the top six players playing. Uh, which teams should we look out for? Jeez. Oh, God. Uh, let me tell you this. St. Louis, Archbishops, they won the first year. Last year, they didn't quite make it, and they're pissed off. Because, you know, they got, like, like the chess capital of the world, pretty much. Like, they want to win. Yeah. So they have Fabiano Carano on the team and Wesley So. And they can play them both in the same lineup. How'd they swing that? Um. Well, first of all, like, super high-rated players, you get, like, bonus points. So, like, nobody counts towards your rating cap as more than 2,700. It doesn't matter if they're rated, like, 3,700. They're still just 2,700. And so they're using those two, and they just, you can use, I think, Fabiano, Wesley, and like a 2450 and like a 2100 player. And that's like, 2450 is super competitive on board three, and on board four, you know, you're usually in trouble anyway, no matter what team you're on, no matter what your rating is. Yeah, so, and I know that in the past they've been cagey about recruiting some underrated, you know, FIDE. Oh, yeah, players. they got they got some of that this year. Yeah, 
And I'm, I'm guessing you mentioned bidding wars. You might not be able to talk about who was involved in them, but it, it would not surprise me if uh, St. Louis was one of the teams involved in a bidding war. And I don't think I don't think those are even wars. They just it's not a war when St. Louis steps in. Okay. <laughs> I think it's just like they they just you know take the rocket launcher. Right. The other team was like the BB gun. Um. No, I know that they're offering. I just random players in their team are like super excited about their situation. Interesting. And they told they told me about it. So, so random players being not Wesley So or Fabiano Carroll. Oh, players not not GMs. Okay. That way. I don't want to go into too many details. Gotcha. Um, and what other teams should be should we be checking for? I mean, you're the commissioner, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's a lot of teams. I mean, like this year is like insane how good these teams are. I mean, that team's like ridiculous. I mean, I don't know who's going to be favored over a team with two of the top 10 in the world playing on it. But I mean, you still have the Chengdu Pandas who were like ridiculous strong last year. And now they just made a, a small addition with Liren Ding. Wow. Today. So now they have him. They have Yang oh Yi Yu who is also like 27-30. And I'm, I'm sure they have a lineup where they can play both of them. And they just have like two other 2600s on the roster and like super talented young players. So they're going to be super strong. Um, you know, got last year's champ, Armenia, who has changed things up this year. Last year, they were like only Armenians on the team. This year, they recruited this really young, talented guy from Iran, and I'm totally going to botch his name. Oh, I already Parham. I, I'm yes, not, yes. Yeah, that kid, man. Him and the other Iranian kid are just absolutely destroying oh, people. I don't know how much you were following the the I, FIDE I was, Blitz. yeah. Um, the other one got recruited today. Yeah, I, that's probably a smart. <laughs> Literally <recruit>. today. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for it because I'm like, come on, somebody. Because he wanted to play. I knew he wanted to find the team, and I'm like, how has nobody signed this kid yet? Like the kid's uh, obviously really good. So he is now on a team, and we'll see. I'm sure he'll play plenty of matches and be a pretty dangerous player. Yeah, and if anyone listening is in touch with these uh, top – oh, okay, sorry. I have their names because it's embarrassing not to <laughs> properly give these people their respect. So Parham oh, yes. Mag, Magsudlu, of course, is uh, number one yes. in Iran. Uh, he's the – I think he's 18-year-old Wonderkin who said uh, his goal think- is to be – world champion by 2022 and mm-hmm. he allegedly studies chess 20 hours a day <laughs> uh he, i mean he literally said that in an interview and the, the guy we were referring to in the fide world um rapid and blitz who had an amazing result is ali reza feruja um so and there's and there was a young iranian women woman who did quite well in both the rapid and the blitz as well um so yeah it's in, incredible what's going on with chess in iran yeah these two i mean Especially the younger one seems like a real kill. I mean, they're both really good, but I always feel like when a younger, like the guy's younger and he's like twenty six hundred, he's maybe like fourteen or fifteen right now. Yeah, and he seems stronger than that somehow. Like he seems like talent wise, he's like ridiculous. <clears throat> so yeah. I don't know. I know Lawrence Trent was chiming in on Twitter saying how he just never gets a game from him <laughs> in uh, online blitz. Yeah, I mean that's that's got to be rough because I mean Lawrence is a strong enough player you know yeah and and the iranian woman player i was referring to is uh sarasada kadam mashare i'm sorry for the mispronunciation i'm sure that was perfect (laughs) thank you thank you it's it's part of my brand to just put (laughs) everyone's name so um but i do try my best and my heart's in the right place 
All right, uh-huh. but but so moving forward, uh, both of those players are uh, both of um, the top two Iranian players we mentioned are playing in the Pro Chess League. Um, we we were just talking before we recorded. Uh, Christopher Yu from Bay Area Chess just beat Laquang Liam as we record this. Uh, he beat a twenty seven hundred player. I imagine he'll be um, joining. They're the both San Jose in the league. Hackers. He's in the Hackers. Quang Liam's in the Webster Windmills. I mean, everybody's in the league now. It's like a joke. Except you uh, did have uh, one one news item today, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's not the best news item ever, um, but it's definitely worth talking about. Uh, you know, it hurts me to talk about this. Yeah. Well, go ahead. You go ahead. It hurts my soul. Do you want me to? Do you want me to break the news? No, I can break the news. I was told from John Ludwig Hammer that Magnus Carlsen, um, as far as he knows, will actually not be playing, and we should remove him from the roster. And of course, you know why, right? No, I have no idea why. It's because <laughs> it's because he wanted it to be classical chess. He was he was upset with the time control. He felt yeah. that it was too fast and it would hurt the quality. Of the game. <laughs> So no, I'm just kidding. We'll we'll talk more about time controls later. So yeah, we don't know the reason, and it's unfortunate. But yeah. he's, a busy, well, he's a busy guy. You know, I mean, he's gonna do what he wants to do, and you know, he who knows? It's never too late. You know, in the way our league works, you can sign up at any point. So like, imagine Norway is like doing really, really well, and they're like, God, if we just had Magnus, and they're all friends with him. So there's yeah, still it's, hope. It's like the semi-retired athletes trick where they try yeah. to they try to avoid the preseason by like yeah. by saying they're retired and then someone offers them more money and then they come. And uh, then he's going to so. look at everyone else playing having fun and his team desperately needs him his country is counting on him. Like please Magnus, <laughs> please do it for Norway. Who knows? We'll see. Um so it starts uh, January eighth. Are do do should we be thinking about matchups? Are there any particular matchups uh, to look forward to? You know the the the, the pairings are. I mean the pairings are out, but like but the, the, the individual lineups, matchups. Yeah, yeah exactly. In okay. fact, I know some of them, but they're private gotcha. for another few days. So I. And what about uh, the announcing teams? Oh, they're they're pretty awesome this year. Um, well, oh, one big part of new thing in. Part of news, that's not even a sentence, um, but one big thing that I forgot to mention, which is really cool this year, it's not once a week anymore. It's twice a week, the Pro Chess League. Tuesdays and Saturdays, is that right? Uh, no, usually it's going to be Tuesdays and Thursdays, unless there's a okay. big conflict with a tournament. But I think that's going to be much better for people, because watching like 14 hours in a row is like a little demented. Um, and what it's also allowing us to do is kind of... Um, tighten up our commentary team and have like fewer commentators but they'll be more familiar with the league and they'll have more experience commentating uh the four main commentators are danny wrench uh, anna rudolph uh robert hess and alexandra botez okay uh, and then there's some other people who are gonna come in and commentate as well from time to time excellent um so first match will be Tuesday and then Tuesday. and then it continues from there on the 10th just off the row. Okay. So like the the Atlantic and Pacific divisions on Tuesday, Central and Eastern on Thursday. Okay. And are you guys, I mean I, I don't know how involved you are in the discussions as compared to uh different people at chess.com, but what a, so it's going to be another live final which by the way I thought was awesome last year. 
Um, it, it was you. just a, a you know a different view of chess to, to see mm-hmm. that take place. So, do you are you guys already thinking about where it's going to be? Yes, but uh, not, I mean, I not think, privy to say. I'm guessing. Well, I'm going to say because I don't know exactly. So, like whatever I say, who knows? But I'm pretty sure it's going to be at the same place. But I could be wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, but that's what I think at the moment. Okay, and how, when is it in May? When is it? Tentatively. Okay, May. I guessed right. Um, all right. You're a genius. Thank you. And go on. Um, any, <laughs> anything else we need to uh, to to highlight for the Pro Chess League? I mean, I could I could literally talk about it for the whole hour. So it's like up to you whether you want me to do that or not. Um, oh <laughs> you... uh, yeah. Well, I do have questions from a supporter of the podcast, so let's hit those. Uh, okay. And then we will move on. Um, but okay, first about the league. A, first, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. I'm excited to announce that this week's episode of Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by Chessable. If you're a regular listener to Perpetual Chess, you've probably heard me and our esteemed guests extol the virtues of Chessable even when they were not our sponsors. Chessable uses learning science to help you improve your chess as efficiently as possible. It's a great way to remember more ideas faster, even for a middle-aged dad like me. What's more, they're an open platform where anyone can publish their courses. I'm talking to you, chess teachers and coaches. And they paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars in commissions to their partner authors. They have big plans for 2019. So if you're a student, author, or coach, be sure to check out chessable.com. Okay. Uh, So question from supporter of the podcast, George Waters. Thank you for the support, George. Uh, George asks, he says, I have a few suggestions for the Pro Chess League that you could run past Greg. So no, here, this is not a question. This so does not sound like a question here, to me. Here I go, George. <laughs> Thanks, George. <laughs> <laughs> he says, number one, give a small cash bonus for both players for games that end with checkmate on the board. So that's both the winning and the losing player. He says, the Pro Chess League is a great event, but I'm always concerned that novice players don't understand the reason games end. There could be added intrigue when players are bitter enough to resign and leave cash on the table. That's that's funny. That's what hilarious. I mean, I mean you're really like, into the okay, incentivizing the people. Oh, it's the greatest idea ever, of course. But I'm, <laughs> I mean, from like a financial standpoint, I don't know if I'm going to be able to convince uh, anyone to do it. So you're not going to pay I mean, for it yourself? You're saying? No, but I love the idea. I, mean, I bet it wouldn't be that expensive. I mean, even fifty dollars. Like, who cares? Just you know, fifty. You know how many games are played in the Pro Chess League every week? That's a good point. So, <laughs> like, so, uh, what, wait, all right, what's the amount where people people would twenty five? I think it's around twenty five is the amount we're looking. Two bucks. I'm not gonna resolve. I mean, two dollars. Right. Annoying. I want the two bucks. So, <laughs> all right. So we might need to do a Kickstarter campaign for this, George. But maybe ten dollars. I don't know. But it's a good idea. Um, or there could be like a corporate sponsor who who specifically sponsors the no drawing rule. Um, yeah. It could be like their thing, just just spitballing. But okay. So you like the idea, but maybe not practical for this year. You, you'll yeah. Be- I mean, I don't even like it for the reasons he does i don't think like I, I don't know i don't know that it's like that big of a deal the whole checkmate on the board thing but i just think it's hilarious and it well, would be I mean, fun he's giving the sort of uh the more casual players perspective so i think, no, I I think it's valid but um, here's what the problem is is like let's say that's how it actually is going to be like then people are gonna just start trying to like get checkmated quickly instead of resigning and like playing silly nonsense moves you know uh, and that that doesn't look good either that's a good point so, like, they're down a piece, and they're like, how do I lose as fast as possible? And so they just play, like, lots of stupid moves. That, that's um, a valid point. So, so back, like, back to the lab on that idea. But, but you know, there's, uh, there's some potential there. And Greg, is, well, there's no one the better best, than you. The best way to do something like what he's 
suggesting is there has to be a way to incentivize the losing player for lasting as long as possible. Ah. Uh, that way they don't make like silly nonsense moves, but and, and they actually have to think about how not to lose as quickly as possible, you know? Um, so you I've thought about like this before. Long, so longest game prizes? No, it's like... Oh, because then the winner would... I yeah, mean, yeah, would it's like... Only to the loser, the longest game. It's like, it's got to be like something like where a tie break is in a tournament is like number of moves that you lasted in your losses or something. So that way there'd never be any reason to resign because every, any single move, longer you can make the game go, uh, you would, could potentially gain something from that. Um, on the other hand, chess games are pretty long as, as, as enough as they are. So I don't know that we need them to be longer. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep thinking about it, George. It's not going to happen this year, but next it's a year. good question though because this is the kind of thing I've thought about, and because that's why I have all this stuff prepared because yeah. no, I thought no. about it in other events, you know. Yeah, and it, and it's good to get get different perspectives, um, and because we do want to reach as broad an audience as possible. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question from George. For related reasons, I would think it would be possible for the chess.com interface to create an analysis board with the final position when the game ends so that spectators and more importantly announcers can examine the end of the game. It seems mm-hmm. the games close out on the live server and a spectator announcer has to retrieve it from the archives. There's got to be an easier uh, way. I mean, I can't really argue with that. I'm not a programmer, so I don't know what more I can say, but it sounds like it would be useful. Yeah. Okay. So chess.com has an endless list of improvements that they're always looking <laughs> yeah. to make, but, um, but I'll, it's I'll a... try to get that pushed up. <laughs> All right. And last but not least in this one, we touched on, uh, agreed draws are a detriment to chess as a sport in any format. And the pro chess league seems like a natural place to outlaw them before move 50, for example, uh-huh. or have a small fine for agreed draws before them, or even better institute a fine that declines with the number of moves made. He thinks like you, Greg, uh, yeah, the fine could be something like a hundred dollars. Uh, I don't understand this part, but that's the general question. Um, well, first of all, I slightly, I somewhat disagree with the premise that agreed draws or draws are like a bad thing. Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're not. Usually in the pro chess league, they're not bad because you're playing for your team. Like nobody's like no, nobody's playing like for their own personal gain alone. So I mean. It's just not an issue that we see because you don't want to give away a draw in a better position and have your teammates like looking at you and being like, what the hell are you doing? You know, so actually, I think it makes people less likely to take early draws. And it's just it's just not a common it's just not a problem in our league format. It's just the way the league works. Do you know what I mean? Like in team play is. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, not there's tactical draws, draws like to help your team maybe, but they're yeah. not they're not just going to be like you know what let's let's go get a beer. <laughs> yeah, and you know like who are we to like stop people from making a draw that helps their team? I just yeah, I don't think it's um, I, I understand how it's a priority in other types of events that are right. like it actually like individual competitions. Yeah, it actually segues perfectly into uh, the next item on my <laughs> outline, which is uh, world championship formats. Yeah. So this is, of course, hot-button issue. Chess players love to argue about it on Twitter and Facebook. Um, they do. But just to give a little background for anyone who's been uh, hiding under a rock or something, there was there was a lot of blowback in the World Championship between Magnus Carlsen and Fabiano Caruana about the the first 12 games being draws, even though some of them were quite, um, quite you know, uh, hardly fought. Um, like, well fought, I should say. 
Um, mm-hmm. And different people have different ideas about the, what the world championship format should be. Greg, what what do you think the world championship format should be? Oh, it's perfect, just the way it is. <laughs> you, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it, just the way it is. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's so many different ways I think it should be, but like you see this rapid and blitz championship that just concluded, right? It was, yeah, I people loved really that loved tournament. it. Yeah, it's so much Everyone fun to loves watch. It. Yeah. Um, the problem is, it's like a joke. Is to determine a world championship, it's like not real. Like, you can't just have a fifteen-round Swiss tournament and call that the world championship. But it's a really awesome tournament. Um. So, so that, like before I even start, like people are always like, when you when you talk about speeding up time controls in the world championship, they're like, oh, there's already a rapid championship. And I'm like, come on, no, there's not. There's a giant rapid tournament that's fun to watch that they call the world championship but it's not like that doesn't make any sense that'd be like having the the world class of world championship just be a nine round swiss like the world open um yeah so basically the argument you're making is that in order for it to be a world championship there needs to be a format where people are playing matches against each other and you know advancing to the next round sort of thing i mean there's a lot of ways it could be but and it is the world championship technically but nobody's going to take it seriously like really seriously with this format um, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's go back to the world championship and what do I think the format should be of the world championship? So, I mean, I like that. Like, you know, we shouldn't just get rid of all slow chess, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it honestly seems like Magnus Carlsen just could, would be happy to be done with it. Well, I think, uh, I, I think my solution that I wrote in about in the blog would be, would work really well, like to have three separate world championships. Yeah, I liked that solution. On a rotating... I'll link to it in the show notes just in case anyone missed it. I think a lot of people listening probably saw it. But anyway, go on. <laughs> the idea would be that you have the world classical championship one year. Uh, there's, there's actually three events for each. So the world classical championship, the candidates tournament, and then like some kind of qualifier to get into the candidates tournament. You have one of those every year for three years and that, that's just like the cycle that's how it goes then you do the same thing for rapid chess and you do the same thing for blitz chess and there's a new championship in each format every year uh, you know i'm sorry like every year there's like a different world championship so one year the classical one year the rapid next year the blitz and just keep going on and on and if you're like really obsessed with classical you can have like the classical every two years and the blitz and rapid happen a little less frequently but that's the general idea, um, and to treat those forms of chess seriously, like stop treating them like some sideshow. Just because like you can't make a move without blundering, you know, doesn't mean the best players in the world can't. Like their games are really, I almost cursed. You can curse. But I mean, you know, you have uh, your, your legions of uh, young U.S. chess school Let me ask you. students listening. I'm sure, but <laughs> but you can curse. How many people actually curse in the show? Only ever a few. Only a few. All right, I'm going to try to stop myself. Okay. It's, it's difficult. Um, but, like, people play these games so good. They play Blitz really well. They play Rapid really well. And it's just so conceited. Uh, not conceited. What's the word? The people who just act like they're not real chess. Like, who are you? Like, you don't know. I mean, Magnus thinks it's real chess. I'm sure Hikaru thinks it's real chess. All these top players, like, they know it's real. It's just not quite as high quality as slow chess. But, I mean... 
And like I say, if, if chess was invented more recently, there's no way that we would have this ridiculous time control. Like nobody would ever dream of that in a million years. Um, that doesn't, you know, it's still, it's a nice thing. We have this nice slow games where people can like, you know, go have dinner, come back and one move has been made. Um, it's like, you know, the pace of life nowadays is like getting so fast and chess is kind of like that one thing that's still like really slow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm mostly, I agree with you on this stuff, but I'm going to play devil's advocate because a lot, a lot of people, Joel Benjamin said he doesn't agree with you. You know, there's always people complaining. About uh, he he's an advocate of continuing classical chess as the word. I didn't say I didn't say to get rid of it. I'm yeah. saying you have all of them. Well, you you have said to get rid of it. But... I have because nobody will do the other thing. So it's like dude, this is not working. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I mean Joel is just one person, but I mean I don't think he would be against <coughs> what what you just outlined. Oh. But in any event, and, and, so and one so, more. Th- oh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, give one common criticism, which is that, you know, historical legacy of chess, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's a long, yeah. long history of classical games, and you would be breaking mm-hmm. that history. So, All right. Let me ask you this. Let's okay. say we remove an hour or a half hour from each person's starting time. Have I just destroyed the legacy of chess? Um, I mean, you're asking the wrong guy, but no. Probably not, right? Like, I mean, like, people can't just make it a little bit faster. Yeah, it would make a big difference. I mean, as a as a working parent, I mean, I love the World Championship. I like, you know, mark the days off to my calendar, but there's no way I'm sitting there and watching the games for for yeah. 7 hours. I mean, it's just not feasible. But I honestly I don't really like, in my perfect world it would be the thing I just lined out to you. Classical, rapid, blitz, all treated super seriously. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe less seriously for the blitz and rapid. I don't care. I would treat them all the same, but do that, create a serious cycle for all three and see what happens. You know, nobody's tried it. You can see what this, this people are really into this rapid tournament. Like, imagine having this rapid event and, like, you can have eight players playing matches against each other and they won't take that long to play a lot of games. You know, you could play, like, three games in a day for, like, a 12-game match in four days in, like, some candidates match type setup. For Blitz, you can have some, like, insane Blitz matches of, like, they can play 10 games a day easily, right? Yeah. Um, so you could have a 40 game match over four days, you know, for like the final eight players in the world. To, and then, you know, the championship match, it could literally be a hundred game match, 10 games a day, 10, 10 days, boom. Uh, um, I just, there's just so many exciting things that you could do with that. And nobody's trying. Okay. I'm going to give you another, um, yeah. common criticism I hear. Shout out. to Sure. Uh, what's up? To Elon Schwartz, who's always always vocal on All right. chess Facebook, and he, he basically what Elon says is, chess's job is not to entertain you. <laughs> like chess. he loves chess, but he just wants to sit there for as long as possible and just have every move be perfect. Um, okay, then he can play in classical events and and watch classical events. Sure. Okay, I mean, I, I mean, again, you, so I'm not the I, best I, person to. I don't really want to get rid of classical. Like what I want to do is what I just kind of laid out to you. And make it slightly faster. And I, we, we have this problem that our top players are just so good. Like, so good. So many draws. Because they have so much time and they never mess up. And Of course they mess up sometimes, but, like, you really have to do a lot to win a chess game these days. Um, I don't know. I just... I, I think that... You know, it's probably better if instead of trashing classical all the time, I fight for the elevation of rapid and blitz. Yeah, because nobody's going to argue with that. So far, I'm a little disappointed. 
Do you want me to be less measured? I can't be. <laughs> I don't know. That. Well, no, but it's because I really love that 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 idea that I just told you about to have those three separate world championships all taken seriously. But without that, like, you know, the other idea I wrote about is decent, um, where you know you after the slow game is drawn, you play rapid. But I actually like the other one better. Okay. <clears throat> all right. So I'll link to I'll link to both ideas. You guys form your own opinions. I mean, but. You know, whatever format is adopted, there's going to be some detractors. So I do think who's going to detract from like a extra world championship or two? Happening? Yeah, it's true. It is in that sense. I mean, basically, you just need to come up with the funding for it. But I mean, so far, things, I mean, things are looking yeah. better under Dvorkovic. Uh, you know, yeah. What the? Where did this guy come from? Yeah. <laughs> he's like a saint. Yeah. He writes Merry, Happy New Year on Twitter. Yeah, says he, nice like, things. Responds <laughs> to people when they talk to him. Yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> We're talking about the president of FIDE, in case that wasn't clear for anyone listening. Uh, Arcadia, yeah, I mean, which, like he's he's off to a good start uh, in organizing events. Yeah, I just like my big, big big dream is one day in life somebody who has the funding is like, hey, Greg, I, I kind of like your ideas. Let's sit down and actually figure out something to do because I think there's so much we could do. We we just need to treat these other games seriously. So players that are like, you know, somebody like Nakamura, like he's great at the faster time controls. And there's a lot of players like that that are really great when the game's a little faster. And they're not any worse at chess uh, than the people who are better at the super, super slow time controls. It's just different. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, Magnus agree. Like it it just, honestly, I bet like Nakamura just gets bored. It's like so freaking long, these games. It's It's just sit there and play perfectly. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be Magnus's, where he's coming from. I mean, he said he found the the classical portion boring and just wanted to get through yeah. it at some point. And that's this is the world championship. It's, like, ridiculous that nobody's taking this more seriously, you know? Yeah. That It'll, he says stuff like that. I'm, like, really, really interested to see what happens with the 2020 format and negotiations. And, like, will it just be classical? And, like, will Magnus agree to play? I mean, it's... It's not at all. I almost, I kind of hope he doesn't, you know. Yeah, that would be that would give be, them the wake up call they need to do something. Yeah. Um. Then you and you and he can uh, can form your own organization. I mean, we're not on speak. We're not on good terms right now. He just not playing the pro chess leagues. I don't know. Oh well. All right. So, uh, Fabiano. Although I don't know, he's pretty, <laughs> he's pretty good at the classical. So he's begging. He's begging for more blitz. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we, we were just discussing how Hikaru Nakamura uh, is quite good at the uh, the fast tactics, and that, that brings us to Puzzle Rush. So oh, baby. We, we have a question <laughs> from supporter of the podcast, Benjamin Handelman. Oh, what's up, Ben? <laughs> he was BJH. very excited to ask you this question. So, Oh, my goodness. And he gives, gives some background here. So Ben okay. says, uh, so he, he made an allusion to something I didn't um, completely understand, so I asked for some clarification. You know, he's uh, mm-hmm. been watching. I know stream. him. Yeah, 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 I figured. He's okay. been watching you stream the, the Puzzle Rush, which I, I caught once and I enjoyed, but I, I haven't caught all of them. Um, but anyway, <laughs> he says, uh, Greg started tracking his Puzzle Rush performance on a spreadsheet. Then he had to go teach a U.S. chess school camp. When he came back, he claimed they changed Puzzle Rush to make it harder because his average score dropped from 38 to 35. None of the other people streaming Puzzle Rush, and I think you, Ben, have literally interviewed all of them to believe you believe this to be the case. Just Greg. What? So no, there's, no, there's no question there, but I guess I would add it. So is there a conspiracy? Did they change the format? Yeah, of course. They ever, they've admitted that they changed the format. It's not even like a debate. 
Because he said he, that he asked Hikaru no, on one of Hikaru's streams, and Hikaru said there was no change. No, nah, Hikaru's wrong. Um, the, the change is very specific. It used to be, like, every puzzle you do, you, it has a rating, right? So, like, you're doing a 1,400-rated puzzle. If you get it right, you're doing, like, a 1,460-rated puzzle. Get it right, you go to 1,560. It just keeps going up and up and up, right? What it used to be was when you got one wrong, the next puzzle would be easier. So you would drop, like you would go from like a 1,500-rated puzzle to a 1,420-rated puzzle. They stopped that. So now, even if you get the puzzle wrong, you continue to get harder and harder puzzles. And that kind of accounts for like two or three less points. Uh, Christopher Yu also realized this. His dad wrote a whole Facebook post about it and provided the evidence. Uh, and there's... A, that's no fun if you're right. <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm definitely right. Oh, bummer. Um, there's a reason why this change was made. Uh, and I, I, you know, I wish they would have waited a bit because it has, I think, lowered the enjoyment of some people from doing puzzles. Like, I can't ever beat my high score now. It's just impossible. Um, not impossible, but, like, super hard because it's just a harder game. And what, what's your high score? 46. Oh, wow. The, when I was watching you, I think it was 41. No, I mean, that was probably just on that stream or something. Okay. Um, 41 was like, I once made a bet that I would get 41. That was the I one I saw the... with... Uh, oh, oh yeah. No, I, was, yeah. I would never make a bet that I would get my high score. I, I made a bet because I thought it was the kind of score I could get if I just really focused. Mm-hmm. But I actually got lucky. Okay. Because usually my, my average was, turned out to be like 39. Um, but why they made this change so that the puzzles continue to get higher no matter what was so that they can have like a battle mode. So like, let's say I'm going to play against you in Puzzle Rush, and that means we're all going to we're going to get the same set of puzzles. Oh, that's cool. And, and it wouldn't work like if you got one wrong and then got like an easier puzzle. There's no way to give us like the same set of puzzles. Do you know what I mean? So they had to make this change, but. In return, it made everything harder. I think what they could have done was made the skill level go up slower to like kind of mitigate the fact that you don't get a break when you get something wrong. So like instead of maybe like the puzzles getting 60 points harder every time, they can get 40 points or 50 points harder every time you get one right. Would the battle mode work if you did that, though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just has to be the same set of puzzles for both players. No, I mean, like, they st- like, from the very beginning, they could go up slower. Okay. Because it's a little demoralizing. It's just the, the high scores are so much lower than they used to be. Like, it's really obvious. Yeah. Well, I mean, if this thing's going to be around for a long time, which it's such a hit, presumably it, it will be. The Yeah. It'll just be a blip, you know, the early iteration. I guess. But, you know, I have this high score I can't beat. Yeah. That... I want, I want a, like, a more attainable high score now. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, uh, but yeah, obviously puzzle rush super fun. Yeah. It's, I love, it's, love it's the great. idea. Um, and speaking of battles, um, you know, you seem to be going back and forth with you and the hammer a little bit. Have, uh, have you ever played him in blitz? And if so, what was question. the result? <laughs> wow. You know, thanks for asking that. It's a, it's a good question. We played one game. Uh-huh. At the live final in San Francisco, it was a close game. Like, he put up a really good fight. Uh, he may have even had, like, equality at one point. But then I got Which my rook. he was, like, up a queen or something. <laughs> then I got my rook to the seventh rank, and my queen was in his face, and it was just too much pressure. And 
I won the game. Okay, and that was an inside joke for listeners because I've seen Greg mention online that he's won an O lifetime against you and Luke Van Hammer like three times already. So just, well, just wanted to give you, you the opportunity. But of course, we all know that he's a stronger player. So I mean, that I'm the stronger player. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, so moving on, Greg, uh, the U.S. <clears throat> Chess School. We talked about Christopher Yu. Um, just tearing it up, uh, just sky's the limit with what he's doing. And w- one thing that I, that I wanted to highlight was, I think I mentioned this in a recent episode, but I saw his dad mention that he doesn't really study chess books. He just, you know, he's just tactics, tactics, tactics all the time on the computer. And his dad's trying to get him yeah. to, to read books and he's doing incredible at it. And I was asking you about books and you were saying you haven't, you're not super up on the literature. So my, my question for you is if chess books, like how necessary are they these days? Well, they're probably not necessary. Um, you know, everyone's turning into like a little mini computer. <laughs> like all the top young kids, I feel like. They're, there's this style of play, which is like, it feels like computerized style that somehow works now. I think Christopher Yu has a lot of that in him. Like his game today against Lee Kuang Liam was like, I don't know, some of these moves were... Yeah, quite computer-like. Not computer-like, but just like, like King H1. Like, what the? What is he doing? Do you even know what I'm talking about? I, I was. I looked at the game right before we recorded. As it. <laughs> Do happened. you remember this move, King yeah, H1? Yeah, that was. Wait, right what when, move was it? Right when he went G5, and then everything changed. Um, I was so honestly. This was a moment when I saw it, and I was like, I really want to know why he did it. And I spent like 20 seconds. I also wanted to see the rest of the game, so I didn't spend long enough. But. I'm kind of curious why he played that move. I'm sure there's a reason. He wanted to induce G5 so he could sack a piece. I mean, yeah, it didn't like. <laughs> uh, and we'll link to the game. I try not to yeah. <laughs> try not to go through moves of random games. Audio interview. It's an amazing move. That's all. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. I, I'm I'm weak enough that when I see a head scratcher, I just keep going. But but. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I know the kid. Like, I, I just really am so curious what his idea was. Like, I would love to know. And if it made sense or not. Like, it's hard for me to believe that it makes sense, but who knows. But, uh, you know, the rest of the game he played pretty good, it looked like. Yeah. But it's back and forth. I mean, when I looked at it without an engine, like, I I only spent, you know, 10 minutes total looking at it, but I spent five without an engine and five with, and it wasn't... Oh, you look with an engine? Yeah, briefly. Oh? Just because I have no clue otherwise. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, okay, obviously I could sit there and study it for hours, but... You could just count the pieces? Yeah, but I mean, you know, King's safety, I don't, I guess, I don't know. I Is guess. he getting mated? Isn't he getting mated? I mean, um, okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> to, to bring it back to things that people might might care about. Is um, this going to get edited out? <laughs> um, I think we should leave it in. But we do need to continue. So, chess books. So, everyone's playing like a computer, but, I mean, so it doesn't seem to be holding Christopher Yu back. But meanwhile... There's so many good books coming out at the same time. So where where's the balance? Well, I think most people read books more for the entertainment than the learning, except like kids learn more. But like, what am I saying? I'm saying something really mean, actually. I'm saying like most people don't improve. They just read books, but it doesn't really help them. <laughs> but it's fun. It's like enriches your mind to read them anyway. Um. Sorry? No, I agree. Go on. Oh. I and am I supposed to say what books are good? I mean, if you have some more to recommend, but you don't have to force it. I mean, you I mean, pr- I mean like I, I like Dvoretsky books. I like 
Yeah, we already talked well, about this. So. Yeah, I mean, books that build pattern recognition, like really, really drill things in. Uh, books where there'll be a position that's memorable, like memorable positions that you will sometimes think about when you play your games. That's always good. Yeah, and so, but these kids, I mean, this is this is another way to approach it. So they're becoming like computers. They're super strong tactically, but presumably they reach a level where they need some positional understanding. So yeah, but it's easy. I mean, computers teach you positional play these days, and I don't know. Like they go to these. I mean, you know, like Christopher Yu's been to like a lot of camps. Yeah, not not just U.S. chess school camps, but other camps. He has trainers. Trainers show him like basic positional ideas. Uh, I'm sure he's not like, you know, Karpov yet, but I mean, he's still, he's positional understandings, I'm sure, is still very strong, just not as strong as his tactical ability. Right. Okay. So basically, I mean, obviously books, there's no bad way to study chess, as it were, but but certainly. I mean, um, I'm sure there is. There are are inefficient ways, but, you know, something is better than nothing is what I'm trying to say. In that's probably true. Okay. I was going to say, like, studying the fried liver for, like, five hours a day for, like, a year is probably yeah. inefficient. The guest, I think it might have been Ben Feingold, who gave the example of uh, a student memorizing all of MCO. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's not the best way to study. But short of that, you know, <laughs> Sorry. MCO for uh, younger listeners, you was, and I, said, I think I said this in Ben's interview, but it was a opening encyclopedia where – you know, before computers, you would basically a giant book of opening trees. Um, it's just funny that that used to exist. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And then I had it, and I was I'm, so like excited to look at it. Yeah, it was it was like indispensable. It, it's, it's like it's cr- crazy. How they would best. just they would just tell you one line. They'd be like, "Play this," and then the line I'm sure was like always terrible, but like, nobody knew any better because <laughs> right. we didn't have the engines. It, it's a it's a new world for sure. Yeah. Okay, uh, I think we have like one more chess question, and then we're gonna get to some. Oh, two more, two more chess questions. Ooh. Okay. Um. So Benjamin Porto, another supporter of the podcast. Thank you for the support via. Hi, Patreon. Benjamin. Benjamin. Wow, so many Benjamins writing in. It's all about the Benjamins. And guys. you're. Oh, is yeah. that it? You just make people named Ben watch the show. <laughs> yep. All um, right. I'm very. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. I'm asked the question. Um. He, ben says, uh, I have a f- small follow-up question to Greg. In the first podcast, he appeared, if he recalls correctly, which he does. Uh, Greg mentioned he wanted to write a book with some selected games of Bobby Fischer. Oh. Is he still working on the project? And if so, when will it be available? All right. Number one, I wrote the book pretty much. Oh, really? That was not the answer I was expecting. Well, <laughs> I wrote the book, annotated all the games, did everything. But number two is probably not going to get published. Oh, wow. Um, because there's still a lot of work to do, and I don't know. I just, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> it's, just, it's a really bad answer. I mean, I try. I got a, I got somewhere along the lines <clears throat> of like making it happen, and like with one publisher, I feel like they wanted to change my style a little too much. I just, so it just did, didn't sound like did me talk anymore. To publishers, that's yeah. That's one of them was like really good. Like they, they made. They did some edits, and, like, they were really, like, smart edits. Like, I had a lot of problems in my – the way I worded things, and, you know, they were helpful. At the same time, there was some, like, philosoph- 
philosophical disagreements I have. Like sometimes I really think it's good to write. I don't know what's going on here, or I'm not sure how good you know, like, or, or to kind of like be honest when you don't know something. And they were kind of like of the impression that that's going to turn a reader off, and, and you shouldn't do that, um, or you should act really sure of everything. Um, well, how, where do I, where do engines fit into this? Because you know you could just well, yeah, you could just check it. You could, but I want. I, I also feel like it's good to know what a strong player actually thinks when they see a position, because then. It, then you know, like, when I'm playing a game, this is the thought I'm actually going to have. Uh, and you can compare yourself to that strong player instead of not really knowing where you stand. It's true, but just uh, I'm just thinking this through as you talk about it. But, I, I mean, I sort of feel like chess books are a place where it's evolved to a point where people want accuracy in their chess books. I mean, they there are other formats, like... Uh, YouTube videos and stuff like that where it seems more acceptable to just be like, I have no idea. But there are people who are like going through chess books with engines to make sure everything that's, you know, every line that's given is accurate. So. Yes. Uh, so I do that. But what I mean is like sometimes I'll say that like, uh, I wish I had a specific example because it's not like I'm going to like, I use the engine and it's not like I'm going to completely say, like, I don't have any idea what's going on here. I won't do that. What I'll do is give my just general opinion of, of how it would look to me um, and why it would look that way to me. And, you know, I don't have, like, proof that I'm right. And So I'll use words like I think or I prefer white because of this. Um, but I don't know. It's just like... I see people writing books that I know are weaker than me, and when they write the book, they sound like so much stronger than me. And, and it's fine to do that, but it's not a realistic... If you're trying to wonder like what a 2,400 player or 2,500 player actually thinks, it's not realistic. And I don't know, it bothers me, because I really love the opportunity to know what like, somebody actually thinks. Like when Dvoretsky writes a book... He'll write like his wrong thoughts and then how they figured out more stuff during analysis. And, and, you know, I like that. I like like the human side of things. And I know what you're saying, YouTube's an avenue for something, but I just don't, I don't like being inauthentic with my thoughts. Like I, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And it's such an impasse that you, you're probably just not likely to come back to the book. Oh, that I'm also super lazy. That's the other. And, but it sounds like you put a lot of work in and can you know advance fairly far into yeah. the process. Yeah. Bummer. Um, but it's okay because I, I the work was fun and yeah. I learned a lot. Maybe you can maybe you can send it to uh, Benjamin Porto and he'll uh, he'll keep it under wraps. Um. Yeah. You know what's funny? I did send it to like two people and they said it's they use it in like all their lessons and stuff. And oh, hook me up. It's super great or whatever. Because what I do is I look at a game and then I come up with diagrams after that are like super related to the game. Yeah, I should have hooked you up before this interview so you could <laughs> you could like promote my book that's never going to exist. Right. Um. But yeah. Okay. 
That's the two more story. chess questions. Hearing you talk about this and thinking about the Bobby Fischer book, and I know that you were diving deep into chess history for a while. Plus, like you, you strong players, you just like accidentally know like the whole linear history of chess. So during the World Championship yeah. match, uh, Grisha, Geary, and Svidler all gave their top five players of all time. So oh, yeah. I'm putting you on the spot here, but but how how would you rank them? Number one. Wow, you're ready. Uh, well, <clears throat> first of all, there's two ways to do it. Absolute strength or relative strength? I'm going right. to go with relative strength. Oh, okay. okay. So that does change things a lot. So as compared to I mean, absolute peers? strength is just obvious. It's right. just like Carlson, Kasparov, and on whatever. Like yeah. top five, all the recent players. But relative strength is more interesting. Uh, number one is Kasparov. That's what they said too. That's so obvious. He was world champion just way too long. Number one in the world for like 20 years, right? Like there's no question. Uh, number two, I mean, like there's a recency bias here, but. There's a recency bias, but I'm going to say Carlson. Uh, but maybe in 15 years, like if he's not world number one in a year. But he will be probably. Uh, number three, I'm going to say Fisher. Just because his level of dominance was like ridiculous for that small stretch of time. And at a time when people were really good at chess. Number four... I would say uh, uh, it's either like, okay, I'm going to say Lasker because this guy for like at least 10 years, he was like by far the best player in the world. I would say like 1895 or something around then to like 1905 or 1906 until Rubenstein came along and was on his level. You know, he was just clearly better than everyone. Uh, he did have a match with Schlechter that he almost lost, but Schlechter was not as good as he was. Like anything can happen in a weird eight-game match. Um, so I would say four is last year, fifth Capablanca, because he was also just like there's something special about him. He like understood things that he had no business understanding at that time. Like he played like normal moves and positions that were not like like the Morosi bind with like the white pieces or the black pieces he would put the pieces where they're supposed to go but like nobody knew that yet so like how does he know it doesn't make any sense yeah he, he had a very natural style it was um something yeah special. i mean shocking that alakine beat him but what can you do wow you really you were ready for that question considering i didn't prep you at all well i mean i look at all this stuff you know and then you have this long period like alakine would probably be number six but then there's this long period where everyone's very similar in strength like the world championships jumping back and forth. Did I forget about Karpov? I mean, he's, he didn't make your cut. I mean, yeah, he's like, ah, uh, I don't know. I'm going to stick to the five I have, but Karpov is probably in Alakiner next. Okay. And here are Grishek, Svidler, and Geary's in order. Uh, yeah, I saw them. Yeah, Grishek, Kasparov, Carlson, Fisher, same top three as you. Yeah. Then he had Karpov, four, and five, Botvinnik slash Anand. So he That's totally re- totally reasonable way to look at things. Svidler, Kasparov, Carlson, Fisher, yeah, Alakine, and Capablanca. So very similar to you. Also very reasonable. Geary, Kasparov, Alakine, Fisher, Carlson. I Tal. mean, he's got to throw shade at Carlson. That's like part of his. Tal, his I mean, Tal's, okay. Tal is not a legitimate answer. Okay. Like, how can he be the best? He was world champion once and then immediately lost it and. 
Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Admirable guy. Great champion. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Last chess question. I know I said there was, this is the really the last one. Since you're sort of the uh, czar of uh, Blitz and Rapid Chess, if, if one wanted to specifically improve their fast game, like not get like their their goal is not get better at classical chess. Just say do better in you know game five, fifteen to thirty minute games. Is there anything specific you would advise for that? Oh, it depends how fast. I mean, you have to just really treat the clock. Seriously. Okay, let's start with action chess. Let's start with like say oh, say you say you wanted to transition from slow games to game thirties. So in most cases, people are going to be relatively the similar level, but like maybe plus or minus 50 to 100 points. 100 is, like, pretty extreme, but I guess it's possible for, like, huge time trouble addicts. Um, I think it's good to be... I think being blitz, good at blitz actually helps a lot with action because a lot of times the game devolves into a blitz game. Um, so getting better at blitz will help. Um, treating time management really seriously... I mean, I've always been like pretty good at the fast games because why? Why am I better? Why am I good at them? You know, we played so much Blitz growing up, you and me. That's true, until you started beating me every game. But... Yeah, but like, you know, I played a lot of Blitz. Yeah. Um, it was like one of my main ways to get better. Oh, do you have another... I think that helped. No, I, I think that's good advice. Um, like, I... It makes me think, though, like, uh, do you have any, like gambling blitz stories i mean you, you used to to have some matches for, you know um sort of grudge matches. i mean not grudge because it wasn't like uh i can tell oh you, you you're trying to get me to talk about the gustafson match <laughs> is that what you're doing <laughs> go go ahead <laughs> oh i have two stories about jan gustafson playing me in blitz two we're going to talk about the bad one first so Jan Gustafsson, you know, this guy just sits in front of, like, the chess encyclopedia all day and memorizes openings. Famous uh, assistant like, to Magnus Carlsen, yeah. I basically can't see two moves ahead, but, like, knows literally every opening. <laughs> like, like um, some guy in, like, uh, whatever, some random country plays a new move in a tournament. Like, it's like they, they he gets an email immediately, like, this move has been played, this is good, this is bad. He has, like, a network of, like, chess theorists working around the globe for him. Um, so he just knows everything about every opening. And whenever we would play Blitz, you know, he would just get these stupid, he would just play these openings, like he would take them Blitz games seriously enough that he would play stupid opening repertoire against me. And I would just always get this like miserable position no matter what I did. And at one point I was just sick of it. I was like, you know I'm better than you, right? <laughs> and he was like, no. I was like, if we play Fisher Random um, and you can't just play your, your silly openings all the time, I'll crush you. And he was like, um, no. <laughs> so I, we agreed to play Fisher Random Chess Mash. I think the time control was three minute, no increment, with for a hundred dollars a game. And man, so this was in the poker heyday, I'm guessing. Weren't you there? Yeah, no, but I'm just setting the stage oh, okay. for the listeners because it's <laughs> it's fairly unusual to play a hundred dollars a game, but but uh, yeah, at the time I was like, whatever. I guess it is pretty unusual. Yeah. So we played, and I think he ended up winning six hundred dollars, if I'm not mistaken. It was either four hundred or six hundred, and there was like some controversial games in there too. But um, we played a lot of games though. Um, I don't know how many thirty. It was during the World Cup. I remember that much. 
Was uh, probably in uh, New York. It was in New York, so it's probably like twelve years ago. Yeah. Um, but you know why he won? Because he actually has also been studying opening theory and Fisher random. <laughs> Seriously? No, no, of course oh, not. Okay. It's it's not possible to really understand Fisher random opening theory and. Everyone who acts like it is is out of their minds. Like, if Fisher and them became normal, um, just nobody would know anything. And even if they did study it, they would have such a rudimentary understanding because there's not that whole history of chess to kind of, like, build on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I was really surprised he beat me. Even He was like, listen, he was like, listen, do you know who I am? I'm a 2650-feet-a grandmaster. You know, I know a little something about chess. I was like, whatever, I'm just going to trick you. <laughs> If you can't if you can't get your like silly boring positional position, I'm just gonna get you in some tactic. <laughs> but apparently, I mean, I, I still think he got lucky, and I would beat him in a rematch. Wow! But, um, shots fired. <laughs> you know, he's like commentating all day these days. He doesn't really work in his chess game so much anymore. Uh, you know, so I don't know if he has what it takes to to handle my speed. And, and then the, the next time we played. Um, was in California. Were you there? No, Yakov no. was there. No. Okay. So we were in California. And I was like, okay, we're going to play two Blitz games. I'm going to put these on YouTube. Win, lose, or draw. These are going on YouTube. He was like, okay. Two games. What do you think the score was? Uh, well, you're telling the story, so... Yes. I'm going to guess... Well, uh, keep in mind, he's a world-class grandmaster, okay, so and I'm just some random international master. So one and a half? for you you know what that would i would be happy with that but two and a half two, two okay two zero and then you know what happened after the match he said you can't put these on the internet <laughs> he refused to allow me he was like i'm sorry you just can't do it so i had these two games i beat him recorded never put them online because i have integrity and i told him i don't he had some misunderstanding i don't know what it was but like I didn't want to put them up there if he didn't want me to. But let's just say the score is two nothing. Okay. All right. We're gonna to have to get Jan back on here to defend himself. I mean, you know, so he got me twelve years ago, but I think he's slipping a little bit. Is is mainly my point. Are you gonna have him back for another um, uh, U.S. Chess School, and then you guys can I mean, settle this? That's a good question. I would like to because I want I want to make some changes with the U.S. Chess School. Actually, uh, I want them to be higher level than the. They have been recently uh, because we have this issue in the U.S. It's a good issue, but kids are so good at chess now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're insane. They're everywhere. And so it's like what I see is that 10 years ago we didn't have enough kids to fill these camps. And now we have dozens and dozens and dozens of like unbelievably talented kids to fill many U.S. chess schools. <clears throat> but the reality is that. What this means is that to actually be talented now or to be like some kind of real prospect, you just have to be better. Uh, And so I kind of want to start focusing on those kids who are better and kind of raise the bar, I guess, as to like the level of these camps. So we're putting some things into, into the works that will kind of make our camps on average like a little stronger uh, in the future. And then we'll still have some camps that are like a little more inclusive. And when I say inclusive, I mean like, you know, 11 year old, 2100 or 2000s, you know, be able to come, which is obviously a really strong player. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, it's like, 
it's not world class anymore. I mean, you have 2100s who are nine. So if you could make it stronger, you'd invite Jan back to be an instructor. No, no, we can make it stronger. The, 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 an instructor like him will bring the top. Gotcha. Well, oh, kids so you're out getting some kids who 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 are declining yeah. at this point. How do you mean by declining? Like you invite them and they say no, thank you. Well, it's not that you have to apply these days. Ah, okay. Um, I, I just kind of, I, I think there's a demand for like super high level chest training and there's a lot of super talented kids and I want to kind of start gearing it towards them again. Cause I feel like those kids in some cases are becoming a little less interested and I want them to feel like, Oh crap, I didn't get to go to this camp. Right. That sucks. You know? So I want to have more camps like that. We had Sam Shanklin coach last year. Yeah. Amazing. I, and I want to do that again. And I think a lot of good players are going to want to work with Sam Shanklin, you know, yeah. uh, we're in talks with Jacob Agard right now. To yeah. have a blowout camp this year, like huge. So I really hope this works out. Huge in terms it of does, number of students, or um, it'll be huge in the sense that the timing of the camp will be as such that a lot of strong players will want to play in it. Uh-huh. I can't even say. I I can't even say. It's no big secret, but it'll be literally in St. Louis immediately after the U.S. Junior and the U.S. Junior girls, gotcha. and every. And so, like, all of them will be there, and there's, like, this huge camp happening. And I know that they're interested, so that's, like, the kind of thing I mean. That's the kind of camps I want to put on. Wow, that would be great, because India is coming for the crown. We got to, we need, I mean, I, you know, I love every country. I love every yeah, cast, draw. But if the United States wants to put forth a, a world champion in the next generation, then uh, well, India and Iran uh, need to be, rec- and China, of course, need to be reckoned with, so. It's true, but we do have some real serious prospects right now. Like Christopher Yu is a great one. Yeah. Uh, you know, a wonder is still good. I mean, like any one of these kids, a wonder, Jeffrey Jean, Sam Savion, could become, could make a breakthrough. Yeah. And then we have the younger kids like um, Abhimanyu Mishra. Uh, there's new ones all the time, like eight-year-olds I don't really know yet, who I'm sure are like really good. So we, we have some real serious prospects. Okay. Um, Greg, I think that wraps up our chess talk, and now we're going to do a little bit of nonsense. You ready? Oh, baby. I like nonsense. So, so listeners, if you don't want to hear us jibber-jabber about things wholly unrelated to chess, you can turn this off. Do not turn it off. (laughs) That's not true. You need to listen. I'm going to talk about some chess things at some point. Who knows? Okay. So, uh, question number one is from huge fan of perpetual chess, uh, Kit Kit Hoffman. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Oh! This is a this is a CrossFit related question. Wait, you sure he doesn't want a fantasy baseball tips because he could use them? <laughs> um, all right, we'll start with this one. He says, at the end of a CrossFit workout, Greg's always on the ground, writhing in pain and agony, usually after <laughs> numerous very loud grunts at the end of a, of a workout. That's not true. It's not but true. I don't make, it looks don't make like, that much noise. It looks like he's been murdered and won't be able to walk for weeks, unless and until the coach misrecords his or someone else's time, and then he's. <laughs> And then he springs to life like Mia Wallace in Pulp Fiction after she gets the adrenaline shot. Amazing how he can recover from such obviously overwhelming pain so quickly. So no, no question there, actually. <laughs> just, a, just a comment. Okay. What am I supposed to say? I mean, like, I take justice very seriously. And when somebody else gets robbed and they say they finished in, like, such amount of time and I saw they finished five seconds faster... I need to help my fellow citizen. 
<laughs> I got you. And I noticed this is kind of similar to the Puzzle Rush theme of uh, you keeping very close score and being uh, hyper attuned to any injustice, although you defended yourself well, nicely. In, in l- l- let, me, let me tell you what that case is. Usually I'm already done the workout and then somebody else is still doing it. And then I'm just watching them because I'm just done. And I, I'm kind of like curious if they're going to like beat, like, like are they going to finish before 10 minutes? And then I see them do. I see them finish at like 9.56 or something. But then they don't look at the clock, maybe, and then they say, oh, 10.02. And I'm like, what the hell? You you were 9, 9.56, man. Oh, that's very magnanimous of you. Well, I'm just trying to help them out because I know people take this stuff seriously. you know. Okay, and number two from Kit. Oh, and, oh, ask, and this, is, this is a good one. Ask him to sing for your podcast. He loves to karaoke and always breaks I, out the vibrato. I, and, I would love to, actually, oh, but yeah, I have a you, voice problem. You have an excuse. Yeah. Well, how about the American Idol story? You haven't told that. Uh, I didn't? No. You're, that didn't come up? Uh, I don't believe that we have told that on the podcast. Okay. Maybe tell Let's a truncated it. version just in case we have, but I'm like 95% sure. I don't know. I, went, I was in New York once. It was right near the Manhattan Chess Club. So Greg tried way. out for American Idol. That's the number one thing to know. Uh, I was on my way home from the Manhattan Chess Club, and the, the American Idol tryout was like right there, like two blocks away. And <clears throat> I, didn't, I knew it was in town, but I didn't realize it was right there. So I was like, okay. And I waited in line for a little bit. I got like my little tryout thing. Um, and I was really lucky because they told me to come try out the next day at 4 p.m. So it wasn't like 8 in the morning, which I probably wouldn't be able to do. And then when you when you go try out, there's like, it's like a room full of like, I don't know, like a thousand people or whatever. And you sing for like literally 15 seconds. And then they either tell you to go to the next, to good, you can move on or they kick you out. And I think 95% of the people get kicked out. Somehow I got through. What can I say? Amazing skills. Amazing skills. Also, they like people who are really bad. But (laughs) So then the second stage is you sing for the producers of the show. One of the producers is the guy who's the main judge on uh, So You Think You Can Dance. His name is Nigel. And I sang, Jen came there and heard me do that one. And I think only like 10% of people get through that stage. Somehow, somehow I did it again, made it to the next round. And the next round is you sing in front of Simon, Paula, and Randy, like the celebrity judges. Um, I can tell you right now I'm not that good a singer. Like, I'm okay, but I'm not. Like, I don't know exactly why I made it to sing for those judges because I'm definitely not like some professional singer. I remember you were uh, pretty optimistic at the time. I, I must interject. Well, because of course they keep putting me into the next yeah. rounds. When I, maybe I'm amazing. I don't know. <laughs> but I now, mean, I knew some yeah. people who thought I was good, but like, uh, I mean, I would say like, like if I go to karaoke, like most people will be like, it's pretty good or something, but not like, whoa, but also not good. like, but also not like, oh, that's really bad, you know? Okay, so so there you have it. And can oh, we can we? Extract- well, wait, 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 wait. I'm not done with it. So, okay, go on. Sorry. Simon, you know Simon likes to insult people. So like after I was done singing, um, Randy was like, "Yeah, I don't know. That sounded a little off Broadway to me." Uh, and then Paula said something about how I move too much when I'm singing. And then Simon looked at Randy and was like, "Off Broadway? More like off, off, off Broadway." It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> funny. Um, okay. So that's, that's what happened. 
Okay. Well, can we extract a promise from you that uh, next time you're on, when you have, um, when you when you have uh, your voice back, you'll uh, become the second person to sing on this podcast? Sure. I mean, sometimes I sing on my uh, stream. Okay. I sing. I sing a lot in stream. Somebody told me I had a very nice voice. Okay. Who was the is, other uh, person who sang? Uh, Christopher Yu. Oh, what he sing? I don't remember. It wasn't. I don't remember what he sang. But yeah, I mean, my voice is just not there i could try but i wouldn't no no you don't have to we'll save it i mean and we'll we'll see we'll see how many you'll see if people if the people want it all right and i did find the the other question from kit kit Um, oh you know he's uh got a lot of questions because he's such a big chess fan so (laughs) he says maybe ask if it's a mandatory part of crossfit to do all the workouts shirtless shirtless and what what the advantages and disadvantages are well yeah i do okay so first of all um for the first few years of doing CrossFit, I never took off my shirt. I was just like, that's a pretty intense thing. Just rip your shirt off, right? In front of everybody. I didn't quite have that level of confidence. Um, and then at some point, I don't know, I, I just <laughs> I just did. And it feels good. You know, you're sweating everywhere. And it's hot. And you just feel free. Um, you feel like more, I feel like more energized and athletic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I but wish, I wish Kit were here to, uh, to. Today, I actually kept my shirt on during the workout, though. Wow. Um, because there were sit ups, and it's like really annoying when your back's constantly on the ground doing sit ups with no shirt on. Gotcha. And how are you still improving your CrossFit scores? That's an interesting question. Um, I, I'd say still very slightly. I mean, it, it's hard. I made a big leap two years ago when I started, I worked in my diet. And that was also helped me to take my shirt off because, like, my body looked better. Um, ah, the truth comes out. Well, I mean, I lost 15 pounds, and it was like, it was a clear, clear difference. Um, I'm, it's hard because, like, I'm at the point where, like, to get better it requires, like, diminishing returns type situation where, like, I have to put in more work and I'll get less out of it. But I, I could get better. It would just take a lot of effort. You know, so I once kinda, read a blog post about how, like, one can improve endlessly no matter how, how old they are. Yeah, I mean, I totally could. That person sounds really smart. <laughs> um, but I'm just not prioritizing it right now. So what I do is I just go to the regular classes and, you know, have fun, work out. And, you know, from time to time, I still improve at things. So I, I can't – I think I'm still getting slightly better. I'm not getting worse, it doesn't seem. So that's okay. good. Yeah, I mean, you got to consolidate your gains. I would say from a chest standpoint, like if you had to give me a rating at CrossFit, it would be somewhere between 1,900 and 2,100 or something. Hmm. I was expecting higher. Higher is not not like, I mean, just. I can tell it this way. Like when I go travel, I like drop into different CrossFit gyms. Um, And I would say like a decent percentage of the time, like most of the time, I'm one of the top five in the gym in like terms of skill. And sometimes I'm like better than everybody. Uh, but that's a little rare. Usually there's like one or two people who are like really good, like they're professionals or they're a coach or whatever. Um, but I feel like that puts me in like the 19, 2100 range. Because I feel like somebody like that that goes to a random chess club would generally be one of the better people. Gotcha. Yeah. Depending on what club. Like some gyms, there's like all the best people are there, and then I'm like not even in the top 10. Right. 
Well, yeah, I mean, if um, you drop in the St. Louis Chess Club, it's not going to be the exactly, same. exactly. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Let's give me, let's give me twenty one hundred. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be nice to myself. But that's probably a little, might be a little high. Okay, and are there any um, hacks to getting better? I mean, I know, at CrossFit. Yeah, I mean, is it just work every day, or is there like? Well, the first year you're just kind of. Yeah, I'm sure some kind of talent level, not talent level, but like I came into it in decent shape, even though I didn't work out, like I wasn't overweight or anything like that. And I guess my body type is typically good for CrossFit, and I'm like, I guess I'm relatively decent at squatting, which is really useful. Um, but tips to get better, you just have to consistently do it, and. Just because you're traveling doesn't mean you can't do it. Like when I travel, I'm constantly crossfitting wherever I am. Um, you have to be kind of ambitious. Like when there's a workout that you're supposed to do, you can do the workout as prescribed, which means you do it exactly like it's supposed to be done, or you can make it easier because you don't think you're ready yet. And I think if you really want to get better, you should err on the side of making it harder. Um, not unreasonably hard, but you shouldn't make it too easy constantly. Like some people just always make it too easy. And I feel like that's not going to help. Okay. Uh, and also really important to have high squat numbers or decent squat numbers. I barely know what that means, but it's like you have a barbell on your back and you're squatting and it helps when that num like the amount that you can do that with is high. Okay. That helps in other forms. of uh, It helps in okay. so many different types of weightlifting within CrossFit. Like almost every, type of weightlifting depends on what you can squat gotcha and eating well is important too as i found out in 2016 like it really makes a difference okay and the last uh nonsense question before we we let you go and you lose your voice entirely is uh from supporter of the podcast jason woolham who what's up i think i've met him okay so jason in san francisco or crazy uh i don't know offhand I don't know why um, I think that. Okay. Um, so Jason says, you posted on Twitter that you've cut down your playlist on Spotify to 100 uh, songs. Good question. Two questions. One, where can we find this playlist, which I already saw you answer on Twitter. And two, what is the one song that will never leave the playlist? Oh, geez. You know, no song is immune. Hmm. I, Harsh. Well, here's the thing. The, the psychology of like playlists is like if you you know how you see a, you have a song and you really like it and you play it over and over and over again has that ever happened to you yes that kills songs like it kills your enjoyment of the song like very quickly um and I used to do that a lot and those songs I think if I never did that I would still really like them today so the point of this playlist is a hundred songs is kind of enough if you're not listening to it constantly but if you listen to it like all day, you probably need like a longer playlist so you don't get bored of any of them. But like, okay, which I should answer this question. I, you know, I have a lot of songs from musicals on there. Like I'd say like 20 to 30% are musicals. Like Mamma Mia 2 has ones. <laughs> um, which other musicals do I have on there? Like Les Mis has, oh, actually, I don't think they made the cut. Oh, maybe one or two did. Even a song from Chess the Musical is, is on there. Miss Saigon. Um, I like some of those songs. They're very high energy and fun. Oh, Wicked. Wicked has a good song, too. 
for listeners, I just want you guys to know we have very different music tastes, Greg and I, <laughs> even though we're very good friends. But I already knew that. I mean, um, uh, um, I have, God, it's just so hard to pick my favorite. But should I be doing that? I should do it, right? You got to name a few, yeah. Give I'm gonna name. I like, I really like this song, Sugar Town from the Fratellis. But I like it because when when I was heard it like for almost the first time, I was in Korea. And I was having a really good night, and I was walking down the street, and the song came on. I was like, this song is amazing. And so whenever I hear it, I kind of remember that street that I was walking down and, like, all of the feelings associated with it. So it's kind of cheating. Yeah, songs do have an amazing ability to evoke time and place. Um, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, and by the way, I believe Jason is from St. Louis, according to, to my research that I did. Unbelievable. While, while you were talking so, about musicals. Um, okay, so I blew it. I could be wrong, but that, that's what his Twitter, no, you're bio, probably what his right. Twitter bio says. Um, okay, I think that's everything. Congratulations if you made it through this whole thing, listeners. How <laughs> to, long was it? To the two people still listening. Um, uh, about 80 minutes. Woo! Two, come on. Kit's definitely listening still. The, that's true. That's one. Kit's waiting. He's like, maybe, maybe if I tune in long enough, he'll give some fantasy baseball advice, and then maybe, maybe next year I could finish in the top four. You know, Kit and Jason. Yeah, Kit and Jason are still listening. But all right, and so just to remind listeners, so the Pro Chess League starts on January eighth. January eighth going to be a lot of fun. Four thirty p.m. Um, Eastern. Four thirty p.m. Nine thirty GMT. Wow, gotta, listen to you. Gotta care about the Europeans, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, excellent. Yeah. So we'll be watching, uh, looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll have uh, diff- a couple pro chess league, you know, um, we always have some people who are involved in it. So we'll be doing some, you know, keeping an eye on proceedings and talking about anything noteworthy that happens. Cool. Um, but yeah, Greg, thanks for coming on as well, always. Thank you for having me. Um, and I think basically everyone knows where to find you on Twitter and, uh, Greg Shahadi, just... follow me. Very important. What's okay. Up? And uh, Facebook, anything else? I should Instagram, include. you crazy? Okay. Um, all right, so I'll put links to those. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will catch you guys soon. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. That includes my esteemed producer, Matthew Passy, Geert Vandervelt for supplying the intro music, and Chessable.com for their generous financial support. I also want to thank everyone who helps support the show in little ways. That can be telling a friend about the show, writing something positive about it on social media, or writing a glowing review on Apple Podcasts or another podcast platform. Apparently that stuff really matters. I also want to give special thanks to my PayPal and Patreon perpetual partners. As you guys know, I put a lot of time into this show, a lot of research, promotion, actual booking of interviews doing the interviews i love the work but it wouldn't be possible without the generous financial support of the following people adam ralph of chessengland.com adam vrancourge adrian gutierrez alex pejas ali morchetti brian mullis i am carlos pardomo of chessatlanta.com bill moran chad hilton chad oliver chris balcom chris flanagan chris wainscott Christopher Chabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Daniel Viney, David Cramley, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am elect Donnie Ariel, 
Frank Tortoris, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, I am Greg Shahadi, Harish Srinivasan, GM Yaka Bagard of Quality Chess Publishing, James Bonastia, Jason Woolham, Jeff Anderson, Jennifer Valens of OffTheRook.com, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Hartman, John Jernigan, Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, WGM Katerina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky, Krishna Kabbalah Krishnan, Laura Belyavsky, Leo Delgado, Lorraine Dore, Lucia Silva, Matthew Passi, Macaulay Peterson, Martin Habish, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, my main man Moonmaster9000, Nate Salin, Nathan Webster, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanin, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchak of DiplomatChess.com, Robert Steiner, Ryan Berg, Ryan Stone, Steiner Lima, Stuart Katz, uh, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Thomas Stonix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrinkouj, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and Jivko Stoyanov. Thanks, as always, everyone. I will catch you guys soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.